Welcome to Cellular Agriculture for a Pandemic-Free Future. My name is George Ortega. This is episode number 30. I'm recording on Monday, August 17th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And, um, okay, you know, I want you to understand, again, this is the 30th episode of me basically saying, giving the same message but giving it in different ways, you know, presenting different information to, to justify the message. And, um, and, and, and the theory behind that is that, you know, the way I've been saying it so far may have reached some of you. You know, we're, we're all different. Um, and you, you hear it said in one way, it may not resonate with you. You hear it said another way, it may. So, so I'm going to, you know, I mean, I'm going to keep, producing episodes until uh, until I see some um, some indication of the message getting through and you know if you've been watching you know the basic message is that if we want to be as safe as possible you know responsibly safe from future pandemics we have no choice but to end the farming of animals especially the factory farming of animals. Again, the, um, the conditions under which they, they have these animals are so unsanitary, are such perfect breeding grounds for these pandemics. One example, I've, I've said others in the past. Um, chickens, egg-laying chickens, they're often you know, caged three four five chickens to a to a cage in battery cages and these cages are lined up and they're stacked on top of each other so what happens is the chickens on the um on the top rows you know will urinate and defecate on the chickens on the lower rows you know and and then the chickens are cramped into these cages so tightly they can't even spread their wings. Okay, that's just one example of many that includes not just chickens, but also pigs, cows, ducks, you know, just um, a lot of, lot of these animals, whatever animals, you know, even fish. Fish, you know, our scientists understand that they, they are not as primitive as, as we'd believe. You know, they, they can feel pain. They do feel pain. They suffer, you know, so... Anyway, so the message is, of course, that um, we need to do that. Uh, so, and again, the, the part of that message that's important is that we need to immediately, you know, not, not six months from now, not a year from now, and immediately uh, pump $50 billion into this research as an emerging field. It, it started in 2013, and the idea is we can grow we can grow your know, cellular agriculture. We can, you know, if we're going to stop farming animals, we can grow our meat and fish and dairy and eggs in completely sanitary, pandemic risk-free environments, laboratories, uh, factories. You know that that we can grow actually these products, food products, that will even be healthier than the products we now um, derive from from animals and farms. And so, and the other message is that, you know, it's a brand new industry, it started in 2013. Um, at the rate of investment, there's about 40, 50 startups that have about a one and a half billion dollars invested in total. 
Um, at that rate of progress and investment, it may take 10 years or 15 years for these products to get into supermarkets um, in numbers that, that will uh, lead to a pandemic-free future, much, much, much safer world from pandemics we have now. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting that we spend $50 billion you know, on this. Again, starting uh, as soon as uh, Biden gets, you know, inaugurated in January. And um, many people will, will say, well, you know, that's a lot of money. But again, as I've been saying, the Congressional Budget Office in May predicted that this coronavirus, you know, aside from all the suffering and death and, and you know, disruption to our social lives, it's costing our country alone eight trillion dollars that's what they anticipate so 50 billion dollars represents one half of one percent of that eight trillion dollars so you can't tell me that it's not both wise and, and extremely important to spend that money to not have this happen again uh, the other message related to this is like people think you know that these are rare occurrences in the past they have been because of like air travel four billion passenger flights every year, these pandemics, unless we do something like I'm suggesting, you know, transition from factory farming, farming of animals to cellular agriculture, these pandemics are gonna be more and more frequent and they could be much more deadly. And, and this is not, this isn't the conjecture, it's already happening. In other words, like uh, there were four pandemics in the, in the 80s, there were four pandemics in the 90s, in the 2000s, each decade, there are many, many more. You know, so so this is something that you know it's a it's it's not like climate change where the threat is in the future. It's the threat is now. All right. Well, let me just close this window so I can hear some. All right. So um, so I, I want to try again at a positive approach to this. You know, um, first of all, I don't blame anyone. You know, basically, you know. What is happening is really horrible. You know, we essentially pay people, you know, these, these, these Cargill and, and Tyson, these giant food companies, we pay them to abuse and torture these animals, to, to keep these animals in such horrible, inhumane, cruel conditions that in that way we can pay one quarter of the price for our meat and dairy that we would ordinarily pay. You know, we get a bargain, bargain but, but those animals are paying the price and um, we pay the price now through these pandemics. Uh, we pay the price also through, for example, the livestock industry, you know, is responsible for about 14% of climate change. And, and that's a lot, that's, that's the amount of the entire transportation industry combined, airplanes, uh, boats, trains, you know, cars, I mean, trucks, everything, you know, so, so shifting from farming animals, livestock to this new industry would probably reduce those greenhouse gases that livestock generates now by perhaps as much as 90%. And that's majorly important. All right. So, so yes, yeah, so let's, you know, let's not focus on the dread and fear. I mean, you know, obviously, if we don't do this, we're going to either live in dread of the next pandemic once we're out of this one in a year or two or three, however long it takes, or we'll actually experience another one. 
you know, will live in dread and experience it. So, so, and uh, the last part of this and the other component to this, that the show isn't so much about, um, but I, I mentioned it because it is very important is the other strategy we have to remain relatively pandemic free is to develop universal vaccines, not just for, for this coronavirus strain, but for all strains of coronaviruses, for all strains of influenza uh, and other kinds of viruses, and also ideally for you know, the harmful bacteria. Now, that is a daunting, daunting challenge. You know, um, the fastest the vaccine has ever been created was four years before now you know, 1957, and they usually take 10, 15 years to, uh, to develop the vaccine. And then these aren't even universal vaccines. In other words, like the challenge for universal, we may not see this for 10, 20, 25, 30 years. So given that, unless we want to live in dread and, and, you know, be so unlucky as to experience another pandemic like this, we need to do this. And the faster we do this, the better. Okay. So let's be optimistic about this. You know, our world has a lot of problems. Um, climate change being a major one that we're not equipped to deal with it because our politics aren't equipped to deal with it. You know, our, our, our politics are basically, you know, the corporations run the show. I mean, they, they pump so much money into campaigns, into the, 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 the financial coffers of our politicians. They pretty much own them. And, and so like what's needed to be done about climate change isn't being done in the United States and throughout the world. And, um, and so the promise of this, it, let's, you know, if we spend $50 billion over the next couple of years to, to recruit, to bring into this research, you know, the top minds, all these, you know, young kids that, that are, you know, biologists, bioengineers, engineers, we bring them together and, and again, throw a lot of money at them because this, because if, if we don't throw the money at them, Cargill and Tyson, you know, the, these food giants will throw money at them and get, get them working for them at, you know, at, at whatever, at, at, at not anything nearly as important as this. So this, this presents us with an amazingly wonderful opportunity. Again, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. It's beyond understanding how we could be so cruel as a humanity. I mean, we're so good in so many ways. Look at this world we've created. You know, if you, if you read a book by Peter Diamandis called Abundance, or another book by, I think his name is Paul Norberg, Johan Norberg from the Netherlands called Progress. These two books demonstrate that our world today is so much less violent, so much more filled with, with, with healthy people, people living longer. You know, by so many metrics, we are living so much better now than people did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, two, 500 years ago. This, this you know, we've essentially created the um the infrastructure that would allow us to live you know in a virtual paradise really all of us not not just the rich but all of us that's that's the kind of world we've created 
But, you know, if we want to get a little theological, perhaps we're not enjoying it. You know, we're, we're not any happier today, you know, because my, my basic research field is happiness. So, like, they've, they've determined that, like, after World War II, they measure the, the people's level of happiness then. And per capita here in the United States, um, we, um, we had about three times less wealth than we have now. So we were three times less rich at the end of World War II. And we were just as happy as we are now. We're not any happier now than we were because we're not using you know, our, um, our technology or knowledge wisely. But, um, but the point is that we have a serious problem. Humanity has a serious problem with morality um, and with indifference. And, and, you know, just, again, climate change is a perfect example. But now, you know, again, the difference between climate change and this is like climate change is into the future, decades into the future. And yes, it, it's going to, you know, really destroy the lives of our children and grandchildren, especially great-grandchildren, you know. And it may be a matter of just preventing a lot of the harm that that's going to happen, preventing the extent of it. You know, we, we, you know, Al Gore created his Inconvenient Truth in 2006, and you'd have thought that almost 15 years later, we would have done a lot, but we haven't. So, so look at this, look at this pandemic. Let's go turn theological again. As God telling us, listen, we need to change, not just for the sake of those of us living here today who are experiencing this pandemic and are at risk at, of future pandemics that might even be a lot more serious. We're also endangering the future of, of many populations. Or, you know, this climate change, it's not like, well, it happens and then 20 years it's done. This is like hundreds of years of climate change. In other words, like, when the polar caps melt, there's no, you know, way technology to refrigerate them again, to get them cold again, to, to you know, when, when the peat bogs, peat bogs the, the tundra in Russia and Canada melt, you know, as they're melting now, like many, many years ahead of schedule, and release those, those greenhouse gases into the air, there, there is not um, a technology available yet to reverse that. If we're lucky, if we're lucky, if we care enough to, and if we spend enough to, we, we may. But, but anyway, the, you know, the condition, you know, just climate change alone is dire. Um, these factory farms here in the United States, 80% of the antibiotics we use are not on human beings. They're on these animals that are, you know, they have to be pumped with antibiotics because the conditions that they live under are so unsanitary that, you know, they, they're constantly, you know, getting sick. And, uh, and the problem is that, you know, because of the overuse of antibiotics, you know, we're moving to a future where the antibiotics that we have now are not working anymore and we don't have replacements. And then like, this is very important. You know, you go into an operation, you're gonna get antibiotics because like, you know, you, know, you cut a person open or whatever, that it's, you know, you have to protect against bacterial infection, you know. Um, and this is major, you know, like there was a, a plague, the, the Black Death many, many centuries ago. That was a bacterial infection. That wasn't a virus. You know, this pandemic, coronavirus is a virus. So that's another fear. And, you know, 
again, I'm trying to like present a positive tone and message to this, but it's just so important to continue to, to highlight, to explain, you know, the risks that we face, you know, to appreciate these risks. Um, so think big, think big, think, um, we, um, we in the 1800s, we, we, we decided that slavery was a really, really um, horrible institution, vile, you know, in so many ways. And then back, back then, either people didn't get that or people pretended not to get that, these slaveholders, the South. You know, they were still, you know, we went into a civil war. We got into a civil war about this. So, but, but like people, you know, summoned up the, uh, the, the virtue, you know, the will to say, we're not going to tolerate this kind of inhumanity anymore. And they ended slavery. And this is like, so this provides us another opportunity. You know, the, this climate challenge, apparently so far, we, we don't have the capacity, you know, to summon up that kind of responsibility for that. Because to a certain extent, it's, it's out in the future. And it's just, people don't appreciate that message. People, you know, it's unfortunate, but like, it, it really signifies that people aren't really that concerned with their children and grandchildren, especially great grandchildren. That's the problem. That's where we are, you know, and we, we can, you know, we can cite many other kinds of immoralities in the world, you know, that, that exist today. So, so see this need to transition from factory farming, farming of animals to sell your agriculture as a means, an opportunity for us to become much better people, for us to deserve a much, much safer and happier and healthier world for all of us, including the animals. We, um, we need sometimes circumstances like this to bring out our best. You know, as children, we, you know, as children, we, you know, we sometimes didn't know the difference between right and wrong. And, you know, our parents would try to teach us by example, but sometimes they would, they would um, have to concede that those examples weren't working. So they would have to resort to punishment. And, and naturally, a, a parent never wants to punish a child. But, but parents understand that when you punish a child, it may not feel so good, you know, and you know, certainly you don't want to punish a child any more than is absolutely necessary. But often when, when you punish someone, you, when you, which, which is in a certain sense kind of like bringing a bit of suffering into their life, you know, to, um, to awaken, it kind of awakens their conscience. And, you know, so we get, that is one powerful way we become better people. You know, our fear, our laws are about this. Our laws are about our fear of being punished if we do the wrong thing. And that helps us. It helps motivate us to, to do the right thing, to do more of the right thing. So, so consider that that's what's happening now. God has said to us, you know, just like in the 1800s, um, I basically led you, you know, humanity to understand that, that slavery had to end. Now I'm leading you to understand that the farming of animals, especially the factory farming and the wet markets, the, the entire, you know, that whole industry has to end. 
because the consequences, the, the alternative to it not ending, are too, um, too fraught with, with risk and loss and, and suffering. So, um, so that's, you know, we, um, let's appreciate, let's look at this as an opportunity. Let's, let's, you know, and don't blame yourself, okay? I mean, yes, I mean, like 98, I'm, I've been a vegan for over 15 years, so I'm not part of this problem. I'm, I'm trying to be part of the solution. But, you know, if you're like 98% of, of people here in the United States that, that eat, you know, meat, and, and, and fish and dairy and eggs, you know, they come from animals that you're basically paying these, these large corporations to uh, keep these animals in horrible conditions so you can pay less for, for these products. You know, if you're part of this, it's not necessary for you to blame yourself. You know, if you wanna feel bad for the animals, you want, if you wanna feel afraid, you know, of our inaction or our inertia, fine. But don't blame yourself because to the extent you blame yourself, then it's you're, you're shutting off your, your motivation. You're shutting off your, your, um, your enthusiasm to get this done because like you're indicting yourself, you know, to, to and like the reason I say don't blame yourself is because like, think about it, you know, like young kids, you know, toddlers, you know, we're, we're, we're all pretty much here in the United States, especially brought up in a world where you know, as early as we can remember, people are eating meat and, and, and milk and eggs, and nobody's questioning, you know, the conditions of these animals where they come from, you know. Um, it's not like the information is, is hidden, although actually there are, there are laws. For example, like the, the conditions are so horrible that there's, there are ag-gag laws that have been created by the industry that, that bought off our politicians. And so they've made it illegal for an average person to visit one of these um, animal processing plants, this, these CAFOs, as they call them, these factory farms, because they know how horrible the conditions are and they don't want them. But, but you know, there's, there, there are enough videos out there. There's enough information, you know, the scientists, the researchers, we, we've known this for decades, how horrible this, this industry has been. So, but again, um, it's not like it's your fault because this is the world you were born into. You know, you're thinking to yourself, well, it can't be wrong because like, or it can't be that bad because if it was, you know, our politicians would be telling us or our clerics would be telling us, well, you know, Compare that to slavery. Compare that to the to the decades and decades that slavery, you know, existed with, with not being challenged by politicians and clerics and the media, you know, newspapers and all. So this is the same situation. Um, so again, you know, but but it's important. Don't blame yourself, but you know, again, consider the risk of our continuing to not address this danger and consider the opportunity we have, the amazing opportunity to do a lot of good for ourselves, for our world, for our future by making this transition. Again, $50 billion, it may seem like a lot, one half of 1% of what we're expected to spend on this pandemic. You know, and that's just in the United States. You know, um, And uh, 
you know, another benefit of, of undertaking this would, this would be kind of like a worldwide Manhattan Project. You know, the Manhattan Project uh, led to the uh, building the first atomic weapons. And I think it, uh, here in the United States, and that's where it was conducted, there were about 130,000 people who were employed in this, you know, massive effort, organized effort to, you know, because we were racing against the Germans um, to, to see who would like develop this first. Um, so this is, imagine this as a global Manhattan Project, but you know, it's got to involve everybody in the world. Um, we have to, it's not just that we here in the United States have to end our factory farms and our farms, you know, people in China and Russia throughout the world, you know, the Middle East, Africa, you know, everywhere. We, we all have to, because as, as we see, you know, this, this pandemic was, from a wet market in Wuhan, you know, and like, you know, again, because of our extensive travel, four billion passenger flights each year, any pandemic, any outbreak that turns into an epidemic, whether it's viral or bacterial, on any continent can, within a matter of hours, be um, across the world, like we're seeing now, like, like what's happening now. And once it's across the world, you know, again, we, we may be in this for a year, two, three, who knows. So, so consider, consider the good that, that, that can be, um, you know, that come from this. You know, take, you know, be, be cognizant of the risks we face if we don't do anything. But don't blame yourself, you know, because when you blame yourself, there's a, in psychology, there's, a principle known as denial. And what happens is denial kicks in like when we're confronted with evidence, like in this case, that suggests that we're not as virtuous, we're not as good, that our family, our friends, we're just not as good as we believe, not nearly as good. You know, so, so what sets in is this cognitive dis dissonance. And we have this belief, we've got extraordinary evidence that, that you know, contradicts it and if we blame ourselves if we hold ourselves responsible and not you know understand that you know we're, we're conditioned beings we were born into this world so it, it explains that now it doesn't explain this going on indefinitely but it, it explains it enough to to justify not blaming ourselves for not doing anything yet and again so like to the extent that we don't blame ourselves we can face this directly you know, because it needs to be faced directly. We can't be like ostriches with our heads, you know, um, in a hole, just like pretending this doesn't exist. I'm that's not going to work. All right, we're getting there. Um, again, I want to try to make this more and more positive, you know, go from the, the angle of, of a threat and, and, and consequences to a much more amazing world we can create, you know, as we uh, make this transition. All right, about a minute left. Catch this Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. on White Plains Community Media, channel 76. If you get Optimum 45, you get Verizon. The shows are also on YouTube. And talk to your friends about it. Talk to your family about it. Do the research. You know, cellular agriculture, clean meat, cultured meat, lab-grown meat. It's got various names. Um, look into zoonosis, you know, how these pandemics develop. They're, they're you know, 75% of all emerging diseases nowadays come from animals, and, and these pandemics all come from animals, whether it's a bat or a cow or 
a chicken or whatever. All right, so I hope you're having a good Tuesday, and I will see you, God willing, tomorrow. Thanks for watching.